Hello, Spookies. Christina here. As you can tell by the episode title name, this episode is a little different. Over the past weekend, uh, I was visiting family and MJ was also visiting family, attending graduations and stuff. Um, You know, just uh, taking a break from, I guess, creating content because, yeah, we needed a break. Things things were a little hard for us for a second there. Yeah, we just needed a distraction from... I guess everything you could say. Uh, So, you know, we feel refreshed. We will be back next week with an episode on, I can't remember. I think we settled on the Chupacabras, maybe. We'll see. You'll find out. Uh, We'll we'll definitely be back next week. Um, But in the meantime, speaking of distractions, I have an episode here for you from the Weird Distractions podcast. They are part of the Cultivate Network which we just joined. And this episode was a wild ride. It is a very spooky story that I had not heard. Uh, So it's definitely an excellent distraction and a spooky topic. Go ahead and give them a listen and we will see everyone next week. Stay a spooky. We are. We are. We are Cultivate. 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 We are Cultivate. You are listening to Weird Distractions Podcast, a weekly podcast where we rotate between true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, a little bit of this and a little bit of that to provide you and more than likely what your local IT tech would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. I'm one of your hosts, Alex, and this week I am so excited to welcome back Lindsay and Emily from the former Pineapple Pizza podcast. So hello, ladies. Thank you so much for coming back on. It's a pleasure to see you both virtually. Yes, (laughs) we're always happy to be here. Before we dive into this week's paranormal distraction, because... Of course, I picked another paranormal case back to back because why not? I like spooky shit. What can I say? I was wondering if, Lindsay, if you could maybe kick us off and tell us what your need for a distraction is. And then, Emily, if you want to tell us yours Uh, after Lindsay, that'd be great. I need a distraction from, can I say my period? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Because, like, yeah, same. (laughs) Yeah. I unexpectedly got it today and I was like, cool, 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 cool. No. <laughs> the narrator, but it was not cool, 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 cool. It was not. She later went to the gas station and bought herself some orange-flavored cupcakes <laughs> and ate them in the car like a ravenous badger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Being a woman is fun, right? Yeah, it sucks. It's so fun. <laughs> fucking blows. You get your period unexpectedly. It makes you want cupcakes and eat them like a ravenous raccoon i think is what you said said. i said badger Badger. they're all they're all mammals so it's fine (laughs) it's all good it's all good but yeah oh god that's fair that's a fair need for distraction what about you emily what is your need for a distraction this week oh well uh so i am in the process of recovering from battling a dual infection i had a viral and a bacterial infection oh my and then i also like lens managed to this you know stress meant I got my period at the same time. Oh, wow. That's my fun. My courses. So it was a very exciting week. Oh, my <laughs> Had God. to stop my uh, anxiety that... meds, which is just so much fun. Stopping anxiety meds for multiple days, that messes with you. 
Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, that that kind of fucks you up a little bit. Do just not to say the least. Do not recommend. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that's a lot of chaos. I understand why you need a distraction. That's totally fair. I will uh backpack and say my need for a distraction is I'm just finding life right now is very stressful. A lot of change is happening. Um, I think I've mentioned on the show that I was waiting to hear whether or not I was going to get a new job. So I did get the Yay. new job within my That's agency, which is great. Um, don't know when I start that new job. <laughs> of course. Of course. So <laughs> everything. So that's a little chaotic. Uh, that and I'm also still dealing with uh, my man's not doing well which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. uh, she's still in the hospital waiting for a long-term care bed to come up. So yeah, she's pulling through a little bit. You know, she's taking it day by day, which is good, but it's not the greatest scenario. So once again, for all those out there that still have grandparents, please give them a hug. Tell them you love them. Yeah. It's so hard to watch a loved one go through something like that because even just day to day, if somebody has the flu or they're sick at home that's hard to see. And then when you have something like this where it's longer and there's nothing that you can really do as somebody who loves them, all you want to do is fix it and make it better for them. Yeah. It's, it's rough. hard. Well, and I think the hardest part too is, you know, we lost uh, my grandpa, so her husband back in August of 2021. So it's just kind of been like back to back to back to back to back to back with shit. Yeah. And I think obviously it's taken a toll on her and it just goes to show mm -hmm. like how grief really can alter someone's life without really knowing what to do or what to expect. Yeah, absolutely. It's wild. It's wild. But I think now that we've all talked about what we need a distraction from, I think it's about time we get distracted. What do you guys say? Heck yeah. Agreed. All right, so we are covering a paranormal episode, talking about ghosts, talking about spooky shit. I want to know, though, do either of you believe in ghosts? What are your thoughts on the paranormal? Emily, why don't you kick us off? What do you think? Do you believe in ghosts? Oh, absolutely. I believe that there is something that science hasn't yet been able to explain. Right. I don't know that I necessarily believe that they're dead mm, okay. or that maybe it's a time slip or oh. that there's some other energy that we haven't yet figured out. But I know I am confident that there is something that science hasn't yet explained in terms of the paranormal and spirits. I like that. I like that. Linz, what about you? You ghosty fan? Yep. I believe in spirits 1000%. Excellent. So I'm just joined by believers, which is always nice. It makes the episode a little bit easier because then I don't want to try and sell, you know, you guys that spooky shit happens. Yep. <laughs> yep. Sell us the spooky shit. Sell us the aliens. I love aliens. I'm here for any of that. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> no aliens in this episode, but good to know for future episodes. We'll definitely have to have back on with some, uh, with some aliens. But because... You too, obviously, believe in the paranormal and you guys love, you know, you know, all the macabre and the spookiness of the world. I thought it'd be appropriate to bring you guys back on to discuss something both ghosty, spooky, kind of dark, weird, unexplainable, you know, mm -hmm. everything that's your cup of tea. So this week's story is that of the great Amherst mystery taking place in Amherst, Nova Scotia, Canada. Just want to give a quick listener discretion just due to things that might come up in our conversation today, maybe some coarse language. I believe at one point I do mention a potential assault. So mm, listener discretion is advised. 
All right, so before we get into the freaky, the weird, and the spooky of it all, I wanted to paint a bit of a picture of Amherst, Nova Scotia. So in a direct quote from the province's website, Amherst is the first community to welcome visitors to Nova Scotia traveling from New Brunswick via the Trans-Canada Highway. The town is centrally located to both the Bay of Fundy, home to the world's highest tides, and the Northumberland shore, where several warm water ocean beaches await. It's a pretty place. I'm not going to lie. I saw pictures. Can can attest. It's, it's, it's pretty. Things you can do in Amherst include taking a tour at the Joggins or Joggins. I don't know how it's pronounced. I'm going to say Joggins, but uh, tomato, tomato. But you could take a tour at the Joggins Fossil Cliffs. You could attend the Diane Fitzpatrick Rug Hooking Studio. Ooh. That sounds fun. Ooh. I've never rug, rug hooked <laughs> anything before, so I uh, don't know what that entails, but it sounds interesting. You can grab a brewski at the Trider's Craft Beer, aka it's a brewery. So you can grab a brewski if you want. You could do that. You can check out the Maritime Mosaic Shop and get yourself something beautifully handmade. So it's kind of like a, I don't want to say like a farmer's market, but that's kind of the vibe I was getting. Okay. It has a bunch of different vendors and all kinds of really cool stuff. Or you can grab what's called a freak shake over at the Birkinshaw's Team Room Coffee House and Restaurant. And these freak shakes are $15 Canadian. Like they're massive and they are well pricey, but I think you get quite a bit for what you're paying for based on pictures. Linz, was that your name and your nickname in college? Freak shake. <laughs> <laughs> freak, freak shake, freak shake, freak shake. Shh, shh, we don't talk about that. We don't, we don't talk about yeah. those years. We don't talk about that era. I, I played the fifth. <laughs> I freak shake, whatever you say. It's a fun nickname. I like that. Yeah, I think I think that's one that's gonna have to stick. Yeah. I'm sorry. Fine. Hey, man, if I have until to. something until something better, better comes what along. Is it, okay, what was fair. it from uh, Goonies? The truffle shuffle. Yeah. Oh yeah, the truffle shuffle. <laughs> no, I can't do that. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So according to the Champion Traveler website, the best times to visit Amherst is June, September, primarily not winter time because once again, it's the East Coast, Canada. You're gonna freeze your. Snow. Yeah, you're going to freeze your butt off if you go around that time. But if you go between June and September, it's supposedly really good. And now that we've kind of covered a little bit more of the background of Amherst, let's get into the spooky stuff. Our story begins in August of 1878, when a local family began experiencing odd occurrences around their home located on Princess Street in Amherst. This family consisted of Daniel Teed, his wife, Olive, their two sons, Willie and George, along with Olive's two adult sisters, Jenny, aka Jane, I don't know, I I don't know why her nickname's Jane, but whatever, and Esther Cox, along with Olive's brother, William Cox. So this is a very big family in a presumably very small cabin, I might might add. Oh, geez. I mean, winters were cold, so. Yeah, body heat, I get it. More people in the house, more warmth, I guess. I don't know how that works, so, but... You know what they say about a bunch of cocks. <laughs> oh my god. It's <laughs> a lot they of cocks in warm. one house. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Uh, so Willie and George were reportedly younger than 10 years old at the time. So I think one was maybe a couple months old and the other one was like three or five. Wait, Willie Cox? Uh, 
Willie Co- uh, oh, no, no. Willie Teed. Willie Teed. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know if that's better. Is it, though? Willie Teed? I don't, mm. I don't know. Willie and Cox? Willie Cox would be bad. Willie Teed. I don't know. For some reason, it doesn't I don't know. do much. Like, it doesn't do much. Rhymes with peed. Yeah. Willie Peed. I don't want to... I don't want to make fun of these people because I don't know if they're like something horrible happened to them yet. So <laughs> <don't know. laughs> Especially with a little kid. Yeah, they're not bad people, but some shit happens. I'm not going to lie. Okay. They're not horribly murdered, so then I don't have to feel bad no. about it. Okay. No. Cool. No, no, no. We're good. We're good there. Jenny, aka Jane, was 22 and Esther was about 18 at the time. I'm not sure how old William was. I think Daniel and his wife, Olive, aka Jenny and... Esther's sister was, I think, like in her 20s or 30s. Kind of all over the map in terms of ages, right? It's a house full of a lot of people all over the place with ages. So some accounts claim that Daniel's brother, John, also lived in the two-storied timber-framed home or cabin. However, there are conflicting reports that he just lived nearby on the property, not necessarily in the house. However, like I said, some accounts vary. Some say he was in the house, some say he wasn't. Who knows? There's a lot of people already in this house. It wouldn't surprise me if one more was there, right? He lives in the attic. He lives in the attic. (laughs) The dirty little secret in the attic. Yeah. We don't talk about John in the attic. (laughs) Reminds me of that episode of The Simpsons when Bart finds out he has a twin brother. I think it was like a... One of those like... Treehouse of Horror. Yeah. Yes. They bring him the fish heads. (laughs) <laughs> yeah john always loves his fish heads fresh <laughs> god uh regardless uh the described tight-knit family seemed to live in harmony until some odd occurrences began plaguing their everyday lives first the family members would hear random noises sometimes coming from underneath their bed so like scratching banging clicking like just random noises and shit like that right the family was more than likely spooked however what would unfold in front of them would actually terrify them and change their entire lives especially the life of esther So before all of this weirdness started happening, Esther reportedly was subject to a sexual assault by a local shoemaker named Bob McNeil. Bob supposedly had driven Esther out out of town. He took her out of town and he held her at gunpoint in the carriage. And he was like, if you don't get out, I will shoot you. If you don't get out and lay on the ground, I will shoot you. So this takes place on August 28th of 1878. And needless to say, it's a pretty fucking traumatic situation. Luckily, there was somebody coming up behind them in another carriage. And this interrupted the whole attack. Afterwards, Esther was able to go home fairly unharmed, but obviously emotionally traumatized, as mentioned. And unfortunately, she would fall into a depression for the next following days, if not weeks. It's kind of hard to say. Some accounts say it was a couple days. Some say it was a couple weeks. Honestly, I feel as though time doesn't really matter because homegirl literally was just attacked, right? Yep. Yeah. At gunpoint. Yeah. That's at gunpoint by someone who there are accounts that say that he was her boyfriend. Some say that they're just friends. Others say that he was courting her, that they weren't really official official, but that they were kind of on their way to becoming a little bit more official. It's it's all fucked no matter which way you flip it. Yeah. It doesn't matter what they were. The fact that he did that is still super shitty. And agreed. And it's kind of 
uh, I think, a testament to the time. So Esther comes home and obviously she's very shaken up, you know, but she didn't want to tell her family, right? Because it was back then in 1878, women obviously didn't really talk about these kind of things at all. Yeah, because there wasn't really that uh, ongoing communication and understanding of, you know, how to help somebody after they've been assaulted or, you know, it, it was definitely more a mis- misogynistic way back then, right? So I think even if a woman said that, like, hey, I was just attacked by this man, no one would believe her yep. because she's a woman, right? Or they wouldn't yeah. do anything about it. Exactly. Yeah. Let's be real. I mean, how often does that still happen? Well, yeah, exactly. We are in 2022 and LOL still happens. Mm -hmm. It's funny how things just don't change. 150 years later, we're in the same spot. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I need a distraction from that now. (laughs) (laughs) We feel you, Esther. We get it. Yeah, we get it. Take the time that you need, girl. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so she goes home. She doesn't tell her family. Her family is kind of confused because they're like, well, what's going on with her? Yada, yada. But they didn't ask her about it. They didn't try and, like, pry that kind of information from my understanding. They just kind of let her be and kind of hope for the best. Like, hopefully she will bounce back and be herself in a bit, which I mean, it's it's very much the uh, the family's approach to things seems to be if we don't ask we don't have to know. Yeah. Like that ignorance is bliss sort of mentality. And we'll see that again too in the story, which is kind of sad, but once again, it is the time, right? Mm -hmm. And I think just the family dynamic of it all. Yeah. So by September of 1878, Esther began experiencing physical paranormal phenomena. To elaborate on this, I'm going to directly quote an excerpt from the Mysteries of Canada website article by Hammerson Peters. So this takes place on September 5th of 1878. Quote, Esther, who had gone to bed early on account of a fever, sprang from her bed in the middle of the night and cried, Wake up, Jane, I'm dying. Jane woke up, lit the lamp, and to her horror, found that her sister's face was blood red, her eyes bulging in terror as she trembled in her nightgown. Jane called for assistance and was soon joined by Dan and Olive, her brother William, and Dan's brother John. So maybe John was sleeping over that night. Who knows? Or just, you know, came down from the attic. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Not knowing what else to do, Olive helped her younger sister get back into bed, whereupon all the color drained from Esther's face. End quote. So not, not a good night. Not a good night for Esther or the family. I guess that's, you know, something that would kind of continue to keep happening. Esther's hands, feet, and body began swelling apparently as well, in which she continued to express increasing amounts of pain. Yeah. What's odd odd about her illness, though, was kind of what followed simultaneously. So Esther was like going through the worst of it, you know, swelling, pain, uh, you know, face turning bright red eyes bulging out of their sockets basically and once it was kind of like at its height or her symptoms were at their heightened moment three loud cracks were allegedly heard coming from beneath her bed now people that are listening that are you know into the paranormal and what have you will know that anytime you hear three of anything it is like the sign to mock the holy trinity yep Mm-hmm. Because the holy, like the holy number is three, and so sometimes like demons or ghosts or whatever malicious ones will knock or do things in three to kind of I don't know mock Jesus. I guess I don't really know yeah. how to else to put it, but that's kind of basically what they're doing, right? So it's interesting that you know there's these three loud cracks 
as this is happening. It's very spooky. It is spooky. Yeah. I mean, especially coming from under a bed. I mean, what does she have stored under that bed that's going to do that anyway? Yeah. Whether it's a demon or something else. Exactly. And I'm pretty sure it's like it's 1878. So I'm assuming it was like hay beds, like hay mattresses and stuff like that. Like she might have actually had like a wooden frame bed lifted up off the ground, but it would have been like hay or I don't know, like it's hard to say. But regardless, I doubt she had anything just hanging out underneath her bed making these sounds. Well, and even if she was like, say, on a board, you know, like a raised bed. Right. You would know if the frame was cracking or if like the board underneath it was cracking because... Obviously, you'd be able to see the evidence, the physical evidence of that. So exactly, she, yeah. she would have fallen, like, or yeah, she would have fallen, and if the bed was cracking, right? Like, yep. it's it's just really bizarre. So you know, at some point, so after the cracks happen, Esther suddenly went limp, in which she appeared to have been considered normal like everything kind of went back to normal. The swelling went down. Um, you know, she just kind of passed out. She was peacefully sleeping as some accounts claim and you know the family was content that esther was now okay so they proceeded to go to bed the next day though esther was observed to be fairly well like she was fine she didn't seem to be swelling anymore there was no like marks on her or anything however it should be noted that her appetite was noted as being diminished so she wasn't eating as much well she went through a lot yeah you know um like I feel like that might take away your appetite, just saying. I can tell you, as somebody who suffers from, I think it's called vasovagal syncope, which is like a nerve that gets pinched if you get, say, you poop too hard or you throw up too hard. Ah. It can get pinched under different conditions, especially stressful conditions. You stand for too long. It can get pinched and then you'll black out. Oh. But when I've had that happen before, when I was really sick with something, it rebooted my system. I would black out, smack my head, wake up and be almost completely back to normal, not sick anymore, but wow. I didn't have an appetite. That's hmm. interesting. That's actually really interesting to note, I think, for this case too, because I mean, mind you, 1878, that wouldn't have been like a medical condition or a known medical condition at the mm-hmm. time, right? So, yeah, right. And this is what, it's coming up in yeah. the fall. It started in August and it moved on into fall. So maybe she had some other kind of sickness as somebody who just dealt with <laughs> dual infections, they can lead yep. to all kinds of weird yep. symptoms. So who knows? Maybe she was dealing with some other stuff and it was just something they, they didn't know how to explain. I didn't know what yeah. I was going through and I live in 2022. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like it's, there are some medical conditions that even in modern, quote unquote, modern science, we can't really explain. Right. Right. So you know, I think after the incident that happened the night before, the family was kind of like, all right, Esther seems cool. Um, let's just pretend that weird, spooky shit that happened last night didn't actually happen and move on. So the family didn't talk about it, which we'll see once again throughout the story. Like, they didn't yeah. really talk about what was going on. And if they did, it was in the heat of the moment when shit was happening, right? You know, it wasn't like sitting Esther down and asking, so how are you? <laughs> 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 Saw some weird shit happen last night and just want to check in, you know, how's your mental well-being? Yeah, none of those conversations happened at all. Classic Victorian <laughs> society. 
Oh, classic. <laughs> oh, yeah. So these things obviously continue to happen. This isn't a one and done. On September 9th, the family awoke to screams from Esther. Bed sheets had been reportedly ripped off by an invisible force in which her sister, Jane or Jenny, I'm going to just keep referring to her as Jane because I feel like it's just easier to say, but Jane had reportedly fainted when, you know, seeing all this chaos. She's like, oh, no, my heavens. And just, you know collapsed but the funniest thing happens so i guess john enters the room and the pillow just is whipped at his face by an, inv- an invisible force yeah <laughs> it's like whoever like whatever spirit is in there and whatever spirit is dealing doing all of this it's like you know what fuck that guy pillow to the face you know i can say that um i've never seen vasovagal syncope do that yeah so, so mm, yeah <laughs> that's unusual <laughs> I find it funny that the poltergeist is probably like, you can't see these ladies in their night clothes. How dare you, yeah. sir? <laughs> Just whips a pillow at him. You didn't knock and wait for them to tell you to come in. <laughs> the rudeness. One's, one's got the vapors. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. As all this is happening, Esther had reportedly began swelling again. So she's swelling. Uh, Great. Hate that for her. Poor girl. Yep. Uh, She was also showing signs to be experiencing what we would consider in today's modern world a seizure, which followed by incredibly loud knocks from underneath Esther's bed again. So she's having like seizure symptoms or basically, I'm just going to call it a seizure. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. So she's on the floor. She's convulsing. And they hear these knocks again. And no one can pinpoint where these knocks are coming from. But as soon as the knocks stop, Esther's swelling went down. She stopped having a seizure and she fell into a described peaceful sleep. That is weird. Right? Is anybody else picturing her swelling like uh, the ant from Harry Potter? Like... The ant in Harry Potter. I See, I was thinking like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Violet. Yeah. Minus the blue or the violet, yeah. I'm picturing cartoons when they get, like, stung by a bee and they swell up real big. Yeah, that part. Yeah. Like, big old Mickey Mouse hands on these little stringy arms. Or when someone gets stung by a bee and they're like, is this okay? And they, like, lift up their hands and they're, like, three times (laughs) normal size. (laughs) Or when someone who's allergic to seafood eats it and their face just, like, implodes (laughs) and they're like, what is wrong? I can't feel my tongue. (laughs) Have you guys seen this? The Star Trek movies? No, I'm not a Trekkie. Uh, when, yes. When Bones is trying to get uh, James on and he's pumping him full of all these things and his and hands swell up real big and he's like, Whoa! He can't talk and like <laughs> half his on. face is like swollen. <laughs> Paralyzed. Oh <my> swollen. <laughs> I imagine that's probably what Esther is experiencing. And you have to also wonder how the family is reacting in that moment because it's 1878. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I think the witch trials were done at this point potentially yeah they would have been done yeah yeah. but still i'm sure i'm sure someone had the thought of esther's a fucking witch there's no other way to describe what's happening other than witchcraft right yeah because wasn't there like a vampire panic sometime around that time in like pennsylvania around that time yes yeah Yeah. and i mean pennsylvania is not that far from canada yeah so it wouldn't surprise me but well that was all throughout new england was the vampire panic you're right right Which is coastal, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean... It, for the... Well, yeah, yeah, for the most part. Yeah, so, like, it could have just made its way up to Nova Scotia. 
after Esther goes to sleep, the family's like, okay, all right, what's going on? We're going to need to call a doctor. And that's what they did because, you know, they actually had a good idea and they stuck to it. And they were like, we need to address it. And thank God they did. So they called in local doctor, Dr. Thomas Carwright. So Dr. Carwright supposedly laughed when approached by the family, <laughs> which that's always fun. Oh, that's no. That's always fun. You got to love that. Yeah. Always I a great d- first nope. step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He might have thought that the family was more than likely off their respected rockers because basically the family is like okay this is what Esther's going through you know can you take a look at her and he's probably like uh that's out of my field but like okay I mean realistically how would you respond to somebody being like oh yeah they're just swelling up and there are these weird knocks and things are flying around like exactly how else would you like I don't know if someone came up to me they're like yeah so last night I I don't know, my kid had a seizure and swelled up two times the size of their regular self. And then I heard three knocks and they went to bed after peacefully and everything was fine. I'd be like, okay. (laughs) You'd think somebody was trying to pull a joke on you. or play Absolutely. Yeah. I'd be like, where's Ashton Kutcher? Yeah. Am I getting punked? Is is punk still running? Like, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm over here like... Picturing him being like, get the leeches. <laughs> like he's leeches. Gonna, like... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm surprised that he just didn't respond like, have you tried cocaine? <laughs> it sounds like you have ghosts in your blood. You should do cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> She's just a hysterical woman. Throw her in an oh, asylum. It'll be fine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I was waiting for that too. Yeah. yeah. But luckily he didn't because I think if he did, we wouldn't be able to maybe have this conversation at all, right? Yeah. But so Dr. Carwright agreed to stay the evening. So he's like, all right, bet fam, I'll come in. I'll prove y'all wrong. I will prove that no weird shit's happening. And you know what? I'll observe Esther, make sure she's actually okay. I'll do my job. We'll have a great night. It is what it is. So he shows up to the teat house around 10 p.m. where he immediately looks over Esther and reported witnessing something quite weird. Here's a play-by-play from the Mysteries of Canada website. Quote, as Dr. Carwright spoke, Esther's pillow moved laterally until only one corner was tucked beneath the girl's head. The doctor watched in amazement as the pillow returned to its former position without any external assistance. Shortly thereafter, loud knocks sounded from beneath her bed. Although the doctor examined the area from which the sounds had originated, he was unable to determine their source. Dr. Carwright proceeded to walk around the room and the knocking followed him, sounding from the floor beneath him. After about a minute of knocking, the bedsheets once again flew into the corner of the room. Immediately, a scratching sound emanated from the wall behind the bed. When everyone in the room looked to the source of the noise, they saw that a disturbing message had been carved into the wall. Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. End quote. What do you two think about that? Uh, I don't think leeches are going to fix that. I'm just going to go on record. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm not a medical professional. I don't think leeches are going to help this situation. (laughs) I'm not a quack doctor, but I don't think cocaine or leeches are going to fix Mm -mm. this problem. Mm -mm. Nope. Mm -mm. Well, oh, I mean, fuck. just give everybody else there some yeah. heroin and let them have a good time. <laughs> like, let me go get my opium and I'll be right back. In the 1800s. <laughs> Don't do it now. Yeah. 
But back in the 1800s. This situation could be better understood if we were all high on opium. <laughs> what do you say, folks? Come on, Teed family. Let's do it. Yeah. It's, it's spooky to me because, I, I mean, at this point, it's, you know, little things. It's nothing vicious or violent. It's very much, you know, I'm going to throw a pillow or I'm going to remove the bed sheets and I'm going to do this. Like, that's that's what the spirit or the quote unquote spirit's doing. Mm-hmm. But now there's a threat on the wall towards esther and i don't know about you two but i think if i was in esther's pantaloons at this point mm-hmm. i'd be shitting them like straight yeah. up because i don't i don't deal with like real life threats when it's from a human like a real living human let alone something i can't see yeah. presumably dead i would have full-on amber turded the bed and then uh <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Oh no! I was waiting and for then, someone to bring that up, and then blame it on the dog, and then be like, "That's awful! Who's trying to kill me?" Oh my god! So it was secretly Amber Heard hiding in the walls <laughs> oh, and under shit. the floorboards. I mean, oh, those shit. floorboards, yeah, the space between the floors was pretty big. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. I think, I think it's possible. I, I yes, I understand that she obviously wasn't even alive at that point in time, but you know what? I think she's up to something. Now I'm just picturing her like crawling in between yeah. the walls of a she's house spooky. and like I reverse scratching this message in the wall. Ugh. Right. Yeah. Well, how? Okay. So that was actually a good quite good thing you brought that up because I have a question. It doesn't say how it got scratched in the wall. Yeah. It's like were they watching it like write itself or like that's the thing? Did it just appear? appear? That's, it just appeared. Like they there. As far as my understanding in the research I did, there was no, oh, we saw this knife etch Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. Like they didn't watch it happen, but it just kind of presented itself. So unless the family just was tired of Esther, maybe they had a beef with her, I don't know, and had etched it beforehand. I was going to say, it sounds like something out of a horror movie where you watch the ghost slowly write words. Yeah, because my my only other thought was... You know, if it was something that, like you said, had been etched ahead of time and perhaps was like behind a picture frame or something that got like knocked off the wall and then it was like a big reveal of this horrible message. But yeah, that's weird that like it just showed up. Of course, Dr. Carwright, who literally laughed in the beginning, was like, yeah, this sounds so, you know, made up, is now witnessing all this. So I can imagine he's sitting there like, shit. I um, might have uh, prematurely judged the situation. <laughs> I should have sent my assistant. Uh, yep, mistakes. I should have sent the nurse. Mistakes yeah. were made. <laughs> I should have worn my should have worn my brown pants. <laughs> he does diagnose Esther with something, so he diagnoses her with nervous excitement and prescribed her a sedative to help treat it. So therefore, he's like, mm, "You seem really nervously excited, and you know, I can't explain how a threat got carved on the wall, but here's a sedative, so you don't have to worry about it anymore." <laughs> sleep, sleep. <laughs> yeah, just pretend. What isn't. <laughs> Isn't that what they used to diagnose, like, every basically. woman with? Basically. Was nervous mm-hmm. Basically, excitement? yeah. Like, if you were what we now consider anxious, or like, oh, she's just nervously excited, give her a sedative. It's like, that doesn't... Yeah. Okay. Or maybe Thanks. frustrated by, you know, a patriarchal, oppressive society. I don't yep. know. I don't know. 
No, it couldn't be that. Never. <laughs> Absolutely not. Never. Our society, patriarchal. So what? you know what? The whole time it actually was Esther and she was just messing with them yeah. for fun because she was just pissed off at all the crap that everybody put her through. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, fuck. Someone literally just held her at gunpoint and was trying to sexually assault her. A man, nonetheless. So she's probably like, you know what? Fuck everybody. Yeah. I'm going to just fuck with everybody. I am done. Mind and then you, nobody seemed to care. Nobody seemed to care. Well, exactly. Yeah. That that part, too. Mind you, I don't know why, unless her family was secretly, like, shitty to her. Because everywhere I read said that they were really close and they did everything together and yada, yada, yada. But who knows? I mean, we'll get to some projected theories as to what's happening. But yeah, it's interesting and this sedative mixture, because this is fun, was... <laughs> was an ounce of bromide of potassium, one pint of brandy, and heavy doses of morphia and laudanum on the same night. Uh, so like no. Just a concoction. No. Oh my gosh, yep. that poor woman. Yep. And apparently the like this mixture had no effect on her. Like it had like the slightest wow. effect on her. Yeah. So when nothing changed, the doctor allegedly chalked uh kind of chalked it up that the medicine was neutralized by the ghosts so even at this point he's like dr carwright's like you know what i think there's ghosts in your blood and that's why all of these sedatives <laughs> are aren't doing anything you have spooky blood <laughs> yeah you have the spookiest of blood and i i can't i don't know what else to do like i'm almost to the point where i'm going to overdose you on sedatives because the ghosts just keep eating it up the ghost was like i drink your milkshake I drink it all up. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost the ghost is like, oh, this is really helping my nerves. I never felt so calm. Keep it up. I don't feel so restless anymore. exactly the afterlife is so much easier now thank you i can really get through my day-to-day activities oh what a miracle so after this evening uh the activity in the home began increasing in intensity and frequency so things such as potatoes and pieces of wood will be chucked around the house by an unseen force that's my favorite part I just oh picture God. the family maybe eating dinner and you just see a, f- a fucking potato getting chucked across the room and <sighs> everyone looks at Esther and she's just like, oh. Could you get imagine getting nailed in the face by a flying spud? By a flying that spud. That would hurt. <laughs> For some reason, I just picture like all these things being thrown at John. Like he's like, he's like eating, he's like trying to drink something. And then all of a sudden this like potato knocks his club out of his hand. And he's like, what the hell? And then he like, what did I do? He goes to use the outhouse or the bathroom or whatever. And he gets yeah. smacked with a piece of wood. And he's like, why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> poor john oh my goodness i also pictured yeah poor john i pictured um oh what's there was this i think it was a vine and it was of a potato on a piece of string and someone had it attached it to a ceiling fan and i think there was a song with it and it was like there's a potato swinging around my room or flying around my room or something like that and so I just picture in 1878 in this little wooden two-story cabin, just this potato swinging around. And maybe when the kids are like, there's a potato flying around my room. 
<laughs> it's like the ye-, ye old version of the what is it the water bottle challenge where you yes. you hang the water bottle from the you try to dodge it only yep. it's a potato on a string only it's a potato <laughs> you on can a dodge string. a potato you can dodge a ball <laughs> if you can dodge a potato you can dodge the demon <laughs> oh shit so yeah so potatoes flying pieces of wood uh you know more unknown sounds continue throughout the entire house probably equated for some restless nights for everyone needless to say uh so as september of 1878 turned into october the unseen force behind such scary phenomena seemed to become more aggressive in its manifestations so now it's like mm, the potato was one thing Let's turn this up to 11. Like, let's just, let's just really fuck with these people, basically. And so it would start, you know, tipping furniture over. Like, a chair would just be flung on its side. There would be no reasonable explanation. So the family couldn't tell what happened, when it happened, or anything like that. And from my understanding, they would actually witness furniture being toppled over by itself. Which is also scary in, mm-hmm. in and of itself. Esther reportedly would begin feeling pushed by objects, particularly in the basement, according to the Dictionary of Canadian Biography website. So now it's getting even more physical to her, which isn't good. Uh, this unseen force would also reportedly begin responding intelligently with bystanders uh, through knocks or writings on the wall. So, for example, they would ask, Oh, spirit, you know, what's your favorite color? knock twice for red three for blue and then it would you know knock three times so to speak right like it started having these intelligent conversations through the knocks and through you know apparently writing on the walls and stuff like that which what do you two think about that like do you think that is possible so do i think it's possible i don't know i mean i think if any uh, we've all all three of us i think have experienced something strange in the past Oh yeah. You know, I've I've definitely heard knocking, I've heard footsteps and things. I've I don't think I've ever really had anything full on communicate with me, so personally I don't know. Yeah. Everything that I've experienced has been it's been there but it hasn't been speaking to me directly. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Lens? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Like I haven't ever personally had an experience where something has verbally or otherwise tried to speak with me or communicate with me. I'm not going to say it's not possible, but I'm just saying based off my personal experiences, I've never encountered that. Yeah. And I think it's also hard too, because, you know, unless you experience it, it's hard to actually say whether it's possible or not. Like I I watch a lot of ghost shows, obviously. Um, And, you know, you, they do, have documented evidence of you know hearing knockings at a certain point in time in a conversation where oh are you you know uh, someone that used to live here knock twice for yes one for no and then you'll hear two knocks right what i find is particularly weird is the the writing on the wall because the only documented or outwardly documented statement that was ever written on the wall in the tea house was esther cox you are mine to kill yeah So I don't know what the other statements are, but it's just fascinating to me that Mm -hmm. this is all happening and the family is still like, yeah, we're going to stay here. You know, it's, this is our home, you know, like you could literally just build a new house back then. Lumber was not that expensive (laughs) as it is now. It's just wild. Go live with John. Yeah. Go live with John if he doesn't live in the attic, right? Yeah. (laughs) 
move to John's house. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's very interesting. So all of this sounds terrifying to experience, of course, but what also transpired is enough to make your blood run cold. According to reports such as the Dictionary of Canadian Biography website, the unseen force reportedly threatened Esther and her family that it would burn down the Teed home. To this force, a threat seemed more like a promise than, you know, just a blanket statement. As family members inside the home reportedly witnessed on one occasion, lighted matches falling from the ceiling uh, along with two unexplained fires within the home. So basically at this point, the spirit is like, so I hope you don't like this house because I don't. And I'm going to light this bitch to the ground. I don't think this place is very feng shui in it. No. I am personally offended by it, so I'm going to burn it to the ground. It does not spark joy. <laughs> so therefore, <laughs> I am getting rid of it. <laughs> Have you guys ever heard there was a case, I think it was also out of Canada, where this family kept experiencing spontaneous fires. It was like hundreds of spontaneous fires inside of their house. Other people witnessed these fires mm-hmm. occur, but it was like they would things it would catch fire in a very small spot and then never catch fire in the rest of the, like the whole house wouldn't go up it was just these little fires that would burn all over the place and they had a That's whole so bunch odd. of witnesses and experts came out to look at it and they never really figured out what was going on they assumed it was the family hmm. starting these fires but there are other documented occurrences of just these weird spontaneous fires hmm. occurring and i think that was a case in canada in like the 1980s so almost 100 years later i'll have to look that up but yeah like it's interesting that a spirit has so much power to be able to a light a match yeah find the matches light the match and then drop them from the ceiling like so dramatically right like it's a very you can tell that the spirit really just wants to fuck mm-hmm. with this family mm-hmm. With how dramatic it's being. It's like, mm, you don't believe my threat? Well, I'm going to make you believe. I'm going to drop these lit matches from the ceiling. I'm going to start these fires. And, you know, it's it's just so extra. Mm-hmm. Right. It. There's a big old question of why. Like, if it is an actual spirit, what are you going to gain from burning down the place where you're staying? Well, exactly. And if it's, you know... I think it's fair to say, and we'll get into it, but it, it does have an attachment to Esther. If Esther is dead, there's no more attachment. Mm-hmm. Sweet spirit. Like, what are you doing, sis? <laughs> like, what's, what, why, why, why are you trying to yeah. get her? So it's odd. It's very yeah. odd. By now, the fairly small town of Amherst knew that something weird was happening at the Teed House. It didn't take long for folks to line up outside wanting to witness the strange happenings. Some days, clergymen, among others, would visit the home and watch Esther, whilst allegedly hearing random knockings, banging sounds, and apparently witnessing objects randomly move on their own. So at this point, it's becoming like a, like a big thing. A freak show type of thing, basically. Yeah, basically. They're like, come watch, you know, Esther be terrorized by an unseen force and hear all these weird sounds in her house. Like, you know, it's a small town. It's going to spread fast. Yeah. So it's not surprising to me. But it's not uncommon either. Oh, absolutely not. Not at all. Yeah. No, no. So at some point, Dr. Carwright supposedly thought that perhaps Esther was harnessing some electrical force within her body. And a direct quote from the book written by Walter Hubble, quote, understanding of the wonders of electricity were still rudimentary at the time, and Carwright carried out several experiments which involved insulating Esther's bed, but he discovered nothing of note. So they couldn't find, they couldn't prove Dr. Carwright's theory. Um, and basically, Carwright thought that he could play scientist, but didn't actually make any ground-shattering discoveries in doing so. That's because she's secretly the first X-Man. Yeah. Or X-Woman. 
They should have called Nikola Tesla. Should have called. Should have called Nikola Tesla. Mm. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Would have changed the world. <laughs> Would have changed the world. So by December of 1878, accounts claim that Esther fell into diphtheria. So do you uh. need to know what diphtheria is? Is that the one that makes you poop your brains out? That's dysentery. Ah. I was going to say, like, I don't that's remember what that seeing one is. that on WebMD, but, uh, <laughs> mind you. It's one of those Ds. <laughs> one of those D diseases. So D and diarrhea, I don't know, something like that. <laughs> you know what? It makes sense. I, I see where you're coming from. Uh, according to the CDC website, diphtheria is a serious infection caused by strains of bacteria called, and this is a big ass word, so yes, I jolly phonixed it, bear with me here, crawl... Coronibacteria def- oh gosh diphtheria diphtheria I I don't know it's a big word it is massive but basically it's a certain type of bacteria and with this bacteria it can lead to difficulty breathing heart failure paralysis and even death yeah, I knew that was one of the big ones that uh, killed a lot of kids yeah. and stuff in the 1800s. So. I wonder back then how would they how would they I mean I guess the symptoms but it could have been anything really if you thought about it and how would she have got that bacteria like that strain of bacteria I wonder oh that's probably an I mean life is full of bacteria we're surrounded by bacteria we're filled with bacteria true gross but yes it's, I mean <laughs> it could have it yeah. could have been like bad bad drinking water or something um who knows? I guess it is also 1878. I'm thinking like, oh, how did she get that from, you know, just existing? But then again, it's also 1878. And I don't think plumbing or, you know, uh, modern healthcare obviously were not a thing back then. So I don't think they had filtered water back then. So yeah, well, and then of course, they live in an age when you can't really you're probably walking on dirt streets that are full of yeah. fecal matter and mm-hmm. blood, it's- glass, nasty it's probably pretty easy to get an infection i am so grateful to be living in i i mean 20 the 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 era that we're living in right now is not the greatest but uh i'm glad that we have shoes (laughs) and you know that our streets aren't filled like where i live primarily aren't filled with shit (laughs) i'm very grateful for that (gasps) what oh so i looked it up and it says it's transmitted from person to person through close contact with the discharge from an infected person's eyes, nose, throat, mm. or skin. And who was she in close contact mm. with? But would it have been that? Because, I mean, she, I don't know if her and Bob were still hanging out or, like, seeing each other courting, if you will, after the fact. I don't think they... Oh, probably not. But bacteria can take time to accumulate. True. You know, so what? infections from bacteria can take a while to show, depending... I blame Bob. It, Fuck Bob. It could have been like her sister too, because she slept mm, with her sister. True. Yeah, she did sleep with her sister Jane in the same room. It could literally, it could have been a million different things. It just and they have kids in the house, and we all know kids gonna, are disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I was yes. just going to say there were two gross kids under the age of ten in the house, yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> the they kid. didn't exactly wash their hands back then. So oh God, no, no, they don't do it now. I can attest. I have two under ten, and they're gross. Yeah, so needless to say, kids in 1878, extra gross. Yes. Also, I would love to hear from listeners, how do you pronounce that uh, bacteria strain? I'll post the pitch, like, I'll post, like, a little, I don't know, screenshot of the word, because I jolly phonics, and even now I'm like, I don't, I don't know how 
how people make up these names, to be honest. The Carinobacterium diphtheriae? Yeah. I'm think diphtheriae Dip- would diphtheri- be my... Yeah, uh, it's diphtheriae. The A- I. I don't know. Yeah, the A-E is usually an E sound in science, right. which is weird compared to other portions of a language that we hear it as an A sound, but... I know one of our patrons at Weird Distractions, she works in the medical field. Hi, Alicia. She's going to read me for to mispronouncing that, but in my defense, that is a mouthful of a word, and... It is. Oh, man. Is it Corine Bacterium diphtheriae? Yes. Sure. That sounds right. <laughs> that sounds better than what I... I was like, Cari... Karani bacteria. Like, I literally have it polyphonics bold in purple. <laughs> to, like, try and spell say it properly. It's a lot of syllables. <laughs> it's a lot of syllables. I think it's e- I think it's pretty easy to say that 1878 was not Esther's year. Um, you know, she went through an assault. There's spooky shit happening with in her house around her. She's being threatened by a ghost. And on top of that, she's sick. Yeah. You know. Just all of that happening at once. So for two weeks, Esther reportedly laid in her bed, ill, and yet there was no observed phenomena during this time. Interesting. So as she was sick in bed, nothing apparently happened. There was also no spooky phenomena when Esther was on the mend from her illness and was shacking up with a family, like a a family that was friends with her family, in Sackville, New Brunswick. So I want to know from the both of you, why do you think the par- the phenomena stopped? Like, what do you two think happened? So once again, just to kind of remind our listeners, Esther's sick for two weeks. Nothing happens. She then goes to Sackville, New Brunswick. No ghosty shit's happening. What's going on? Linz, what do you think? Honestly, I think one of the kids was doing something. Oh. And, if, and, if, and if the kids weren't there... Like, with, with the knocking sounds and things like that. Because, you know, kids do stupid shit. Yep. Can't attest. Yeah, if they weren't there, then there wouldn't be a lot of noises. Mm, what do you think, Emily? Uh, my suspicion is it's Esther herself that's doing this. Right. It's surrounding her. It's not occurring when she's sick. It's not occurring when she goes somewhere else. I think that it, it, right. when she's in the process of recovery, to me, it sounds like maybe at least some of this was orchestrated by her. If not the whole family. Mm, yep. It's possible. Think about, you know, strange things happen and maybe people want to make it more fantastic because they're getting attention now and you kind of have to keep upping the ante here and the eyes of the whole town are on the family. What do you do? You need to prove it somehow. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it became a family right? Reveal. And I mean, there are cases of that happening that I, I think even happen to this day where, you know, People are looking, and I hate to say clout, like I hate to see pe- people are clout chasers or whatever, but honestly, I think it's it's a factor for some of, you know, these quote unquote fake paranormal stories to happen. So, because once I read that the activity stopped when she was sick, it's like, well, she's also sick. So my one thought was, okay, she's, she's obviously behind it and she's just too sick to do anything. I also kind of wonder if maybe because she was so sick the believer in me thinks that maybe the spirits didn't have enough of her energy to feed off of and manifest further. But it's it's hard to say, right? Because you want to believe that you want to believe in the mystery and the weirdness of it all. But on the other hand, it's like, hmm, hmm. Well, Sis, are you playing us? Well, and to piggyback off of that, if she was super sick, 
which obviously if you have diphtheria, I'm going to imagine you're pretty oh, sick. Yeah. yeah. Sounds awful. <laughs> like, then maybe in the eyes of the spirit or whatever, they were like, well, she's in the process of dying because a lot of these diseases oh, you didn't recover from. So yeah. it's like, well, we're just going to wait this out because. Right. That's true. We got her. Yeah. So I whatever. mean, if the spirit saw that so, she was on her way out, they're like, well, there's no sense in really fucking with her. Yep. Like, might as well. And then when she left, I don't know, maybe they thought that she was leaving to go get Barry. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe they just were like, you know what? We're going to set this trip out. <laughs> we don't really feel like going to Sackville. Like, it, it is what it is, right? It's, yeah, it's just interesting. And what makes this even more interesting is that when Esther moves back into the Teed House after her respite in New Brunswick, where things ramp up again. So various fires would start seemingly out of nowhere within the house. And Esther was now reportedly seeing what some may refer to as a ghost or an unknown identity within the home, telling her that she needed to move out of the home. So now she's seeing the spirits. So things are amping up a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, the ghost reportedly told Esther that if she didn't leave the Teed House, the ghost would set the house on fire. Kind of like, you know, Adele setting fire to the rain. It was like, if you don't fucking leave, I'm going to burn this bitch to the ground. And it's yep. interesting that it's harping on her to leave. It's not like this whole family needs to leave. It's like, no, just Esther. Mm -hmm. I just I just don't want Esther in this house anymore. It reminds me a lot of the Bell Witch. Yeah. Yeah. Because she only had issues with the husband, and she really wanted the husband to not be there anymore. Wasn't the husband's name John, too? Yes, it was also John. John. Yep. So, you know, if there's anything you take from this episode mm -hmm. today, the Johns in the world will just never have it easy when it comes to the paranormal <laughs> there will always be a target perhaps start carrying some holy water just throwing yeah. that out there yeah wasn't there a case in scotland in like the 15 or 1600s too where it was like a whole family was having the same thing and it was targeting a i think it was one of the boys in the family mm. but they had knocking and like phantom arms would just show up out of nowhere they'd see oh, a phantom arm yes. Do you yes. know what I'm talking about? Yes. 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 I don't remember what the case is called, but it sounds really familiar. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. It yeah. was interesting. really similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there hmm. were several of these cases from like England and Scotland in the 15, 16, 1700s. And it kind of makes you right. wonder if they were, they were written about. We right. know that. So I wonder too, like you could also twist it and say, okay, so this incident in 1878 in Canada, maybe it's just trying to piggyback off of what happened in Europe, right? Mm -hmm. Who's to say? It's very interesting. So at this point, Esther is being threatened again. She's being told she needs to leave. And what's a girl got to do when it comes to a ghostly pyromaniac, right? Like what, what, what are her options? Well, Esther heeds the warning of the ghost and moves out of the Teed house by January of 1879. She moved into the home of a local man named John White, where he, his wife, and their daughter, Mary, reportedly tried to show kindness towards Esther in her fiery situation. At first, Esther's health seemed to improve, and she was even known to help the Whites with chores around the home. So it wasn't like a, I don't, it's hard to say, like, I don't want to say it was like a pity, like, oh, come live with us, because like, your life kind of sucks right now. It was, let's try and help this girl out because obviously something's happening and then on top of that i think it's kind of nice to hear that she wasn't just like sitting in the house being like you know a freeloader yeah, free like she she helped out around the house you know she was trying to show how grateful she was because i'm sure at this point it's she's probably relieved that she doesn't have to live in a house that is literally trying to set her and her family mm -hmm. on fire constantly that's got to be stressful 
Yeah. Three weeks into Esther's respite, it appeared evident that the teat house was no longer haunted. So the rest of the family was like, yeah, there's been no knockings. Our potatoes are staying on the ground. Everything's kind of kosher over here. That's <laughs> Everything's <funny>. great. <laughs> no flying potatoes. John has been feeling more safe since you left. His face has not been hit by a pillow in three weeks. <laughs> 19 or sorry 1879 is john's year (laughs) Uh, but by week four things change so to elaborate on that further here's a direct passage from the book written by walter hubble about the situation quote one day while scrubbing the hall at her new home esther was astonished to see her scrubbing brush disappeared from her hand when the ghost told her he had taken it she became thoroughly alarmed and immediately screamed at the top of her voice or mrs white who with her daughter mary came running downstairs to her assistance supposing that she had fallen and injured herself so supposedly mary and her mom looked all around for this brush like they're like where is this brush where did it go like this is really strange here's where things are kind of it kind of funny but kind of weird and kind of scary the three women would be dumbfounded when after searching for some time the brush fell from the ceiling and bonked esther in the head (laughs) (laughs) it right (laughs) i'm glad you laughed or said something because i was like i thought it was hilarious i just pictured them being like where in the heavens did that brush go getting a good laugh that was a very fine brush and then boom it just reminds me of um the story what is it henry the dirty dog he didn't like getting baths and so he took the scrubbing brush and he buried it in the backyard so he wouldn't have to have a bath so i was like oh did the dog take it (laughs) no just kidding it's just the poltergeist (laughs) so this was just the beginning of another song and dance by the unseen forest back to haunt esther at her new location once again esther and now the whites were plagued with knocking sounds and by the sixth week phantom footsteps and random fires ramped up inside the home i bet the whites loved that Oh, yeah, they were thrilled. (laughs) John reportedly decided to have Esther come to his saloon. So he had his own saloon. You know, he was worried. I think he wanted her out of the house to see what would happen. And on top of that, he also didn't want her being at home and then a fire starting. Because obviously the fire had something to do with Esther, right? let's put this woman who spontaneously causes fire into a highly flammable situation with a bunch of drunks. It totally checks out. I mean, right? it totally checks out. I mean, <laughs> it does. It, you know what? It makes sense. So much logic here. <laughs> so much logic. And shockingly, it didn't really stop anything. So according to the National Library of Medicine website, while Esther was at the saloon, a knife belonging to John's son. So by the way, John has a son. I don't know his name. Hence why I didn't mention him earlier. It's probably, probably John, John. Jr. I'm not going to lie. But JJ. JJ. JJ White. <laughs> why does that sound like an actor? Yeah, it does. JJ White? Yeah. I don't know sounds why. Sounds like a heart. Sounds like a pregnant kid from the 80s. Yeah, sounds it like does. Like a teen heartthrob. Very much. Oh, JJ! Oh, JJ. <laughs> <Yeah>. I, <laughs> I can imagine in 18, 1879, all the girls are following JJ home from school. They're like, JJ. <laughs> they got their 1879 teen beats up on the tiger beats up on the. <laughs> stand, stand still so I can take a picture of you and have it developed and put it on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. So Esther is in the saloon with John's son, and apparently an unseen force takes John, like John's son's knife from his hands and stabs Esther in the back twice 
twice she gets stabbed in the back. And I'm just wondering, like, what did she do to deserve this? I'm just wondering why he had his knife in his hand. Dinner, maybe? Who needs it? Well, I guess it's a saloon. Could have been eating. Yeah, I think they serve food there. Could have been eating, but still. Well, then that's just unsanitary. It's just not safe. I mean, you know, it's kind of like the whole Virgin Mary thing. Like, that's a really good cover. Like, nobody can ever really use that again. A whole immaculate conception. In this case, it's, no, it was totally the poltergeist that stabbed her. It wasn't me. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't stab her. It was the ghost. (laughs) I'm not horrendously irritated by this chick my dad brought home. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not super pissed off that she's getting all of my weekend shifts at the saloon (laughs) that my father owns. It's fine. I'm fine. Right? It's the poltergeist. (laughs) You can't really use that one again. Who's going to be able to get away with that? And it's kind of funny. So at this point in the story, we learn that apparently these spirits have names. And the first spirit was of a former shoemaker named Bob Nickel. Now, do you remember the previous Bob we talked about? Oh, yeah. Who was also a shoemaker named Bob McNeil. Oh, the only Bob I know is Bob Wiata Baby Eats a Boy. I was going to say Bob (laughs) Ross. (laughs) (laughs) Little trees. Little trees. (laughs) Happy trees. Happy trees. Happy little stabby knife. Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) So we have the first spirit called Bob Nickel, who was also a former shoemaker. Uh, Bob was joined by a deceased relative of Esther's named Peter Cox, along with another spirit named... (laughs) 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 Peter Cox. I'm a 12-year-old boy. I heard heard that and was like, it's going to come out. I can't help it. It's coming. (laughs) Why? <laughs> it meant the same thing then that it does now. They had to know. It would be like naming your kid Harry Ball. Harry Ball. <laughs> Bless Peter Cox. Bless his dead heart. Bless his dead heart. So yeah, it was Peter, Bob, and a spirit named Maggie Fisher. So it, this is getting kind of weird. So Esther more than likely wanted a break from Bob, Peter, and Maggie because at this point, Esther's like I'm so annoyed with Bob Peter and even Maggie like they stabbed me at the saloon last week and I've just had it like they're being so rude I imagine that's exactly how Esther uh, responded to the situation so in March of 1879 she would reportedly spend uh, some time in St. John New Brunswick in order to further kind of examine her life away from Amherst and at this time she was also being examined by random people mostly men which is concerning but basically they just wanted to see what's going on because at this point it's going on for a couple months yep there's a lot of weird shit happening the violent like it's escalating into violence now it's it's becoming scary so she is there for three weeks in st john new brunswick after this brief respite esther came back to amherst and probably shacked up with the van ambergs who were friends of hers uh, they lived in the area they supposedly were actually just like two and a half miles outside of amherst so she wasn't too far away from her family which is nice esther reportedly spent eight weeks at the van ambergs and similar to a respite with the whites things seemed good at first you know 
there was no concerns. She was grateful to be there. Everything was roses and daisies and daffodils and everything in between. However, <laughs> there were brief accounts of knockings while Esther resided with the family. It didn't escalate past that, but it should be known that there were, were knockings. It's kind of weird because it's like, okay, so it's just the knockings. So what did Maggie, Peter, and Bob get tired of stabbing you in the back like it's confusing what do you two think i don't i don't know because she went for a long time without anything happening like that's a pretty long stretch of time when you don't have any sort of paranormal activity and if it was something that she was doing herself she had ample opportunity to as she's being examined by all these physicians and things like that to have this magically happen or or coincidentally happen in front of these physicians to be able to be like, see, look, I'm being haunted, you know, and it didn't didn't happen. happen. Yeah. It makes me wonder too. It's like, well, if, if it was going to happen at any point in time, like if she was doing it on her own, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you do it when you were being examined? Unless she couldn't. Right. That's a big thing is if they if she was under such close examination think about when you have a room full of people and there's chaos going on people are looking everywhere it's a lot easier for people to get confused when there's a whole lot going on as opposed to one-on-one when mm-hmm. somebody's looking right at you and asking you questions yeah very true you can't just throw things around or make phantom knocks happen yeah and in the case of this new family Perhaps she tried doing a couple knocks and they were like, yeah, whatever. We don't care. Mm-hmm. So she's reading the room and they're not, they yeah, don't yeah. go for it. And so she doesn't take yeah. it any further. That makes sense. I, yeah, I, I could see that happening too. Especially, could you imagine just being in that room and they hear knocking and the Van Ambergs are like, well, that's strange. Anyways, back to our card game. Do you yeah, know I was going to say back to, back to Blackjack. <laughs> Yeah. And our stationary <laughs> potatoes. <laughs> Be a lot cooler if your potatoes flew. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know what really impressed well, me? <laughs> yeah, flying potatoes. It reminds me of um, the Fox sisters. Like yes. How they used yes. to. Yes. Uh, Very much. Yes. How they would like move their ankles and they could like pop their toes and all this stuff. Like, and it would sound like knocking sounds. So that's kind of what got me thinking like, is it something, and they wore those long dresses, so it'd be very easy to hide your feet if you're sitting down somewhere or if you're, you know, standing weirdly in a corner looking out the window or something. Maybe. I don't know what they did back then. <laughs> Not but, much. So probably looking out the window for a couple hours was the highlight of their day. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that's a possibility as well, but it still wouldn't explain all the other strange... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Because I seriously doubt she was like look over there and she grabbed that guy's knife and stabbed herself in the back twice right like how could you like i i don't yeah that that i can't explain yeah other than it was john it was jj white yeah that sneaky little bitch but yeah other than other than jj I can't explain anything else. Yeah. So when Esther returned back to the Tito, so she goes back to the family home because it's her family home. She should be mm-hmm. able to go home. So she goes home and she was greeted with a loving message on the wall that said, Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. Welcome home. How are you? It's been a minute. <laughs> like, <laughs> this girl cannot stop getting threatened by an unseen force. It's so annoying for her. I can only imagine. Why are you so obsessed with me? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You'd walk in at that point and be like, yeah, whatever. I heard it before. 
I just want a nap. I'm tired yeah. of these threats on the wall. Like, ugh. call that doctor. I want some more laudanum. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy Let me, needs a nap. Yeah. Let's get a sedative. <laughs> sedative. <laughs> Let's get a sedative. Oh, but yeah, she she came back and it was just like, all right, the ghost is back on its bullshit. And as mentioned earlier, the small town of Amherst became fully aware of what was transpiring with Esther, but they weren't the only ones. So this is where another main character to this weird story comes in, being that of Walter Hubble. I had a hard time finding information about Walter during my research into this week's distraction. It was so hard to find information on this man. It was almost as if he didn't exist, which is weird because he published books. Oh, weird. So it's like, why is there no information about this author? Like, there's nothing out there. Um, But what I did find out about him is that he was an American actor born April 26th of 1851 into a family of lawyers. So I can imagine that must have been fun for him. (laughs) 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 They're like, oh, you're not joining the family law firm? Mm." Oh, you're an actor. Okay. That's going to bring home the bacon. Walter. No shade to any actors out there, but uh, yeah, I, I can imagine the pressure of being in a family that's in one profession and being like, well, I like acting. And they're like, okay, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's fun. Okay, but what's your career really going to be? This is just going to be your side thing, right? Like, this is a phase. This is a phase, right? Yes, a phase. This is a phase. You are going to go to law school, right? (laughs) You're going to carry the family name into law, right? We've already put the last name back on the sign, so. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I believe that Walter was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. However, can't be certain about that. But what I can be certain, at least a little bit, is that there are reports that Walter was a fan of debunking reports of spiritualism. So, you know, I, I... I imagine he was part of that kind of cluster of folks that kind of thought spiritualism, ghosts, the paranormal, all that was just a bunch of hootenanny. Mm-hmm. And he supposedly had heard about Esther's case when he went went to Amherst, Nova Scotia. He was there during a tour with his repertory company. So they went through Amherst or they're in Amherst doing a show. He hears about Esther's case and Walter reportedly was like, hmm. I'm going to go back to this place. And the reason why he went back was because of two main reasons. He wanted to expose Esther as a fraud. And then he wanted to make money off of exposing Esther as a fraud. So he's like, I can make a solid dollar or two off of this situation. Sounds right. I'm going to make my family of lawyers proud. (laughs) So after Walter's tour is done, he basically moved in as a boarder to the Teat House uh, in um, in. June of 1879. So he basically, I just imagine he shows up one day and he's like, hey, I'm an American uh, actor. You might have heard of me. Uh, I want to prove this shit wrong. So I'm going to move in. Thanks. And just like comes in with like three suitcases, sets up in like one of the rooms of the kids, tells the kids to get out, go to the attic with Uncle John. Like, I don't give a shit. This is my room now. It's like in uh, the Iron Giant when the military guy rents out the room (laughs) and then he's like following the kid everywhere like, hey, scout. Hey, sport. Hey, sport. Hey, sport. Hey, sport. Hey. Hey. (laughs) What you doing? 
what you doing? He starts like giving suggestions to Olive Teed about like what to have for like what to make for dinner. Like, you know, I I really enjoyed your sweet potato casserole last night, but I think it'd be better if we had maybe had just like regular white potatoes. I noticed that the family doesn't really have a lot of white potatoes. Can you tell me why? Like, what's with the <laughs> potato shortage in this household? <laughs> Olive just turns back with like fear in her eyes. I love. I love being a good russet. Yep. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> so uh, Walter would go on and reportedly witness moving objects, random phantom fires, along with other poltergeist-like activities. Reports claim further that Walter, who would later sign an affidavit to his testimonies as to what he saw, also witnessed physical attacks happen to Esther. For example, Walter reportedly saw Esther being attacked by pins or being hit by random objects. He also saw Esther's body swell like previous claims. So it's funny to me because Walter goes in as this like totally random person like a like an actor and is like yeah i'm gonna debunk this you know paranormal claim and prove all of these mm-hmm. people are lying and then he goes in and he witnesses all this shit and he's like oh crap <laughs> like this was not in the plan but the whole plan was to go in and make money oh yeah and so we'll whether you're saying that you're for it or against it Either way, you're going to make money. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, no matter what, he's going to spend a profit, like, without a doubt. And he does, because obviously he's released a book about it. So he's made profit. I mean, he made $8 off of me. Wasn't it the world's shortest book, too? It was super... It was super short. Like, I don't have it... <laughs> I think it's it's not with me right now. But yeah, it was a really thin book. And to be honest, that whole situation was weird. So I ordered it on Amazon, realized it wasn't going to come in time uh, to when I wanted my notes for this episode to be done. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to cancel it because you can actually read it online for free. <laughs> so that's fun. Found that out after I purchased it. So I went on Amazon and I thought I canceled it. And then on my shop app, I got a notification saying, your Amazon order has shipped. I was like, what fucking Amazon order? And I look into the book. And I'm like, God damn it, Walter. I, I thought I canceled you. <laughs> it's the poltergeist, man. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. It's like, no, you made the sale. <laughs> you, you're you getting this book. The ghost of Walter's like, I need your money. Yeah, I need that $8 Canadian fast. <laughs> My parents are still hounding me in the afterlife. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, shit. Walter reportedly tried to communicate with a spirit such as Bob, in which, based on his book, he kind of came up uh, with a big theory of Bob, like who Bob the spirit was, like what this identity meant, in which uh, here's a direct quote from his book to kind of explain further. So, quote, I believe the true solution of this great mystery to be that Bob McNeil, who had evidently intended to commit a nameless outrage upon Esther, which I love how he says a nameless outrage. Man, he tried to sexually assault her. Call it what it is. Upon Esther, when he endeavored to force her to get out of the buggy in the grove was what is known among students of demonology as an obsessed person a person whose thoughts and actions are entirely governed by an evil ghost existing in that part of space where all the ghosts of the dead still exist in their astral bodies retaining the same appearance individually they possessed while living on earth so it's in the book it says obsessed i think they mean possessed or like yeah that's weird it was weird but Regardless, so to kind of summarize and simplify, Walter thinks that Spirit Bob possessed the living Bob, which that's 
That's just a fun sentence to say. Which, you know, when Bob attacked Esther in August of 1878, uh, the spirit of Bob, or spirit Bob, whatever you want to call him, (laughs) possessed Esther. Or was, like, following Esther around to kind of cause more drama. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, on Pineapple Pizza, we covered a story about the um, werewolves of Ireland, where it was almost like they would have this spirit right. that would leave their bodies yep. and go out and hunt as a wolf. Mm. And, but they would still have a physical form, and then the spirit would come back. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, there's the belief there. We, we've seen yep. astral projection, and, and we've heard of astral projection, I should say. And uh, there there's certainly the belief there that you can separate your spirit from your physical form. So if he was really that obsessed and he really wanted to hurt her, he was super angry, I could understand why somebody might think that he could send that spirit out to exact revenge on yeah. her. Yeah, and I mean, I'm assuming that... Bob McNeil was a white man and we all know the power of a white man scorned. So I wouldn't be surprised if he like sicked some spirit on Esther willingly and knowingly or not. Right. Like it's, I, I, I don't know. What do you think, Linz? I mean, I can, I can see it. I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this. I mean, I can kind of picture it because you, we have heard of, stories where this sort of thing happens where someone is angry enough or frustrated enough where they are able to influence something beyond our our control in order to inflict harm on somebody else and it they they're able to exert that control in a way that doesn't necessarily make scientific sense so i'm not saying it's completely implausible but if that is true it's pretty wild yeah i I kind of think, or I guess I kind of thought of it similar to like, if one person is possessed by a spirit, think of it like a cough. If I cough directly on you, think of that transfer of, you know, nastiness. But in Bob McNeil's case, he (laughs) he transferred the spirit Bob to Esther without you know, there being like any physical, you know what I mean? Like, I know, and I know that's really abstract. I know it's an out there thought, but that's kind of how I visualized it. And it wouldn't surprise me too. Like if people out there also thinking, well, is Esther also just making this up? Because if you think about it, Bob McNeil, Bob, uh, whatever Bob, Spirit Bob's last name is, I think Nickel, the living Bob is a shoemaker. Mm -hmm. Spirit Bob is a shoemaker. Right? Like, I could see people being like, mm, is this a stretch? I don't know. I suppose that people who have been through very traumatic experiences, situations, in a sense, carry around the spirit of that experience with them. You carry that trauma with you. And so for her, it's Bob. Yeah. Whether there's actually a spirit there is a whole other story, but she carries that experience with her and it's going to influence her future experiences. Right, exactly. So Walter, among others, had also multiple theories that kind of, you know, followed that it could kind of explain what was going on with Esther from a more paranormal side of things. So one of them being, you know, Esther was possessed by a demon that fed off Esther in any kind of depressive state she was experiencing. Because once again, you know, she did go through a very traumatic situation. And shortly after that traumatic situation, when she was obviously in depressive episode, or yeah, depressive episode from what resources claim, that's when all this paranormal activity spiked. And that happens, right? Like, 
I don't know how many movies or shows or research has shown that cases of demons or even paranormal activity seem to stem from yep. whomever is experiencing like a lot of emotional turmoil or maybe their mental health isn't doing so well. So that that was one theory. And the other one is that the tea house was kind of always haunted by a poltergeist, but it took Esther going through once again, something traumatic to then attach itself to Esther and manifest more so right now we've also talked about other theories so for example emily the thought that or the theory that you brought up about that um and i completely having a brain gap as to what it was called but that disorder that you have vasovagal syncope yes exactly so that very well could have been i mean it explains how physically she was responding i don't know where these fires came from or once again the flying potatoes because we always need to talk about the flying spuds but well that's diphtheria that's classic diphtheria right there yeah cdc I forgot to mention that. And CDC actually... Yeah, that's one of the first symptoms on the list. (laughs) That's only one of those rare things that happens. Uh, It's it's actually a a side effect from the brandy (laughs) that... uh... (laughs) The brandy and the laudanum. Talk talk to your doctor if you experience symptoms of random fires appearing in your house and falling from your ceiling. You could be experiencing paranormal activity. Your doctor might decrease your sedatives. (laughs) Yeah, like there's so many different theories. And I think that's why it's known as the Great Amherst Mystery. Because as y'all can probably imagine, no one really knows what the hell is going on. And, you know, of course, when there is a mystery or something unknown going on or happening, people want to profit off that. So Walter wanted to showcase the, the theories he had. And he wanted to showcase Esther. So he decided, hey, let's make a buck or two and let's take you on a tour, a speaking tour <gasps> to be exact. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. The actor created a show out of this? I, what? I know. This was also right. really common when it came to like this yep. kind of thing. So that makes you kind of wonder how much of this... Since he wrote a book about it, how much of this really happened? Like, how much does the mm-hmm. town really say happened? And how much is he putting in there to kind of pepper it and make it a little more I mean, um, sensational? He did sign an affidavit, which totally means he's being super honest. Oh, yeah. I'm sure people have never relied on those before. Oh, absolutely not. You know, you know, family of lawyers. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. I didn't even know think better. of that. Oh my gosh, that makes total sense because if he he has a oh my gosh, my brain is imploding. It's just like the last <laughs> piece of the puzzle. It's like, oh wait, the family of lawyers. They literally could have signed off on it, been like, okay, yeah, whatever, Walter. <laughs> whatever makes you happy, just don't make us look bad. Yeah, just just stop coming home. <laughs> Period. That that <laughs> That would certainly have sold it even more because he's coming from this background and he's like, oh, I know the consequences of lying about something like this and how serious an affidavit really is. And here's my signature proving it and certifying it. Ooh, sneaky bastard. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. Can't trust those sneaky Walters. What can I say? And he's an actor, so yeah. I mean, lying it's like Amber Heard. Amber Heard up on the freaking. <laughs> well, just because you're an actor yeah. doesn't mean you're good at it. We'll just put it that way. That, yeah, that's true. Yeah, looks directly I mean, at the jury the whole time. I would just love to have seen Walter fake crying because if it's anything like Amber Heard, oh my god. <laughs> like Esther was struck by so a bee. <laughs> 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 oh shit. So Walter 
Walter takes Esther on the speaking tour and it goes poorly. So, you know, just because everyone had heard of Esther's story, that doesn't necessarily mean everyone believed Esther's story. And supposedly during this alleged speaking tour, Esther would be heckled harassed and just basically like prodded at by all these people who didn't believe her they're like you're a phony you're a fake you're a liar you know they they were it was it's interesting though because i'm assuming if they were going to see her they would have had to pay to see her so they paid to see her just to call her a liar which like that's that's a whole other level of like oh no we do stuff like that now think about all the people that signed up for the trump tickets just to not show up i mean those were free but still we do stuff like that even now Well, yeah. think about people that would show up to like hangings and yeah, things like that's that. True. You know, like you would you would pay to get mm-hmm. up front, you know, to be able to be like, man, yeah. like person people travel across country to protest and stuff. So that's if true. you don't believe in something and you think it's really important that other people know. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I guess we are kind of a petty species when you really think about it. I would say more than kind of. <laughs> we are we pay to be petty we will pay to be petty we will be the spirit bob someday (laughs) just really petty (laughs) really petty yeah i was i was trying to look up when spiritualism kind of waned because it started in the 1840s and this happened in the late 1870s 1870s so this would this have been around the time when people like Harry Houdini were yeah. trying to like debunk yeah. spiritualism we'll type stuff. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Oh no, 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 no. Like we I don't actually talk about Houdini in this one, but there's another one, another familiar name that you might pick up on. But yeah, like a lot of since Walter's book came out, everyone's like well not everyone, but there's been a, a bunch of people who have said, Okay, Walter. <laughs> All right. I mm-hmm. affidavit really mm, interesting interesting choice they're, they're going we see you Walter we know what you're doing we see what you're doing <laughs> stick to your day job and your evening job because your day job's not really paying that much but anyways <laughs> I digress so the tour was eventually scrapped and Esther would return back to the teat house once more Walter would obviously go on to write the previously mentioned book and basically seem to kind of be this skeptic turned believer. Walter published this book in 1879 and his works would be reviewed, praised, and criticized by many all over the world. Wait, wait, wait. He This happened to her in 1879. So he published... Yep. Ooh, he was on that fast, wasn't yep. he? Yep. He grabbed his typewriter and he just said, I, I need to pay rent. <laughs> like, I need to get this out now everyone needs to know so that i can pay rent (laughs) primarily how much research and how many interviews and things could he really have done in that time not many so the book i like the version i have is obviously an updated version and it has um like a forward by another author and the author like took the time to actually add in articles about the case in the book yeah so it's definitely like an upgraded version But even in Walter, like from what I imagine from the original book, not much. It was just basically like a diary. Like it was from his journal and that's what he published. So technically speaking, he was writing the second he got to the Teat House and then just published his journal. And that's it. Can I publish my journals and make money? I mean, they're really not that interesting, but please, I need cash. I know, like, bills have got to be paid. In this economy, I will do what it takes. I'll tell you what you want to hear. If you want to hear about ghosts, I can write about ghosts. Yeah. They won't be real. Yeah. 
I'm just gonna make it up because everyone else does. Well, not everybody else, but oh, every other do. Walter does apparently. Yeah. Jeez. So, yeah, the book was published in 1879. German science journalist and writer Egon Larsen, along with American parapsychologist Walter Prince, were fairly skeptical of Walter Hubble's claims. And direct quote by Egon from his book, copied from the Great Amherst Mystery Wikipedia page, Quote, all the evidence collected by Dr. Prince seems to indicate that Esther was more than just unstable. And this is also not really fair in Esther's case. So just a heads up. No kidding. Yeah, it, it gets worse. Well, it is, it is a white guy. so It's a white right. guy. And, in the 1800s. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't paint Esther in a very nice picture. I guess I should preference that. But uh, the quote continues. Right. She was a psychopath suffering from <laughs> symptoms. Oh, it gets worse. Of a split personality that she herself, or rather part of her, played poltergeist. Furthermore, that most so-called eyewitness accounts were of little scientific value and that there was only one beneficiary of the whole fraud, Walter Hubble. The most unreliable witness, naturally, is Hubble himself. For what use would his book have been if it had not told of if it had not told of amazing occurrences? There is no corroboration by others of the incidents he claims to have observed, only his own sworn affidavit, reproduced on the cover of the 1888 edition, that he actually saw and heard the phenomena as stated, end quote. So yeah, Dr. Prince goes in on Esther. He's like, yeah, she's a psychopath. She's got split personality, which (laughs) in 2022, it's called disassociative identity disorder. But he's just like, no, Walter's, Walter's pulling the fucking rug from beneath us. Like he's the only one that benefited from this. And therefore, like, of course, he's going to put in whatever he wants because, Uh mm -hmm. You know, and if you think about it, like he literally just submitted a journal. He barely did any work. (laughs) Like he didn't do any research. He didn't look into the property. He didn't look in, you know, there weren't interviews with the family members or anyone else. All he did was submit his journal and do an affidavit and that's it. Didn't this guy go out there with the whole, oh, I love to debunk this stuff and didn't even try to debunk it, at least from what we've heard. He's just like, oh, it's wow. It's fantastical. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Regardless, even though people have criticized Walter, criticized this entire case, there have been books, plays, there's even, I think, like a movie out there. Like, I don't know if, I know there's a documentary, but apparently there was a potential pitch for a movie that was done not long ago. Regardless, this wild Canadian phenomena is still talked about to this day, obviously. And there are people out there that do fully believe in it. So yes, there are critics, but there are also believers. And the story isn't over just yet. So after the tour gig was cancelled and everyone parted, Esther reportedly moved in with local family friends. So she didn't go back to the teat house right away. She went in with an unnamed family, I should say. When she moved in, though, it seemed as though the ghosts weren't done making her life miserable. Supposedly, Esther was in the barn of this friend's house that she was staying in. And... While she was there alone, a mysterious fire broke, destroying the barn completely. Although Esther was not harmed, she was arrested and found guilty of arson. She would be sentenced to four months in prison, however, only served one and was released on good behavior. So over the following years, the paranormal phenomena surrounding Esther Cox would cease. She would go on to get married twice, have kids. She apparently moved to Brockton, Massachusetts with her second husband. And on November 8th of 1912, she passed away at the age of 52. That does sound like classic poltergeist activity where you have it 
for a short period of time, usually in your teens, and then it dissipates. Like, it doesn't just stop typically. Yep. It'll dissipate. It'll slow down, and the occurrences will become fewer right. and fewer. And a that- lot of the things I was reading, you know, had said that after her first marriage, all of the all of the activities stop. And I wonder if that's because, I mean, typically when you think of marriage, in most cases, most outward cases, I should say, it's like the happiest time of someone's life, right? So I kind of wonder if because she was in this different setup and maybe her mental health was improved or at least, you know, she was having a good part of her life, mm-hmm. she wasn't, you know, susceptible to that activity to happen anymore. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's certainly a weird case. It kind of makes you think of, was it the Enfield poltergeist where there was a, yep. a lot that was going on and people were like, okay, this really is strange. We don't have ways to explain it. But then they also caught the little girl throwing her voice or something. Yeah. There, with that case too, it was real. I was actually thinking that case today before we started recording because, you know, there the family had gone through a lot. Like I think the father of the kids had like bailed out and, you know, mm-hmm. the mom was trying really hard to keep things afloat. And it just seemed like it was this fire, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, well, not pun, but, you know, mention intended. But this <laughs> fire was just slowly starting. And then all of a sudden, this weird activity happens, and it's just like out of control. But they did capture the girls. I think it was two of them. Like they were, I don't know, messing around at some point. And, you know, people were skeptical, mm-hmm. to say the least. Like they're skeptical of everything going on. And that, that happens in this case, too. Like, except the only right. difference is that we don't have the same proof that. Mm-hmm in the Enfield Poltergeist case that they had, right? So to kind of summarize this week's distraction, like many paranormal stories from near and far, the authenticity of the Great Amherst mystery has always had some questions associated with it. Was Esther's accounts of paranormal phenomena real? Was she the victim of a potential demonic possession? Or was it a well-marketed hoax? Emily, Lindsay, I want to hear from you too. What do you guys think? Lindsay, I'll start with you. What do you think? Well, at first I thought it was all a hoax. But right. there are aspects of it that would be extremely difficult to pull off yeah. if it was a hoax, like the matches, uh, stuff randomly falling from the ceiling, especially at yeah. someone else's house. And especially in 1878, where, I mean, now in 2022, we have the technology to really make a lot of things happen and seem real. But back then, yep. I think it would be really hard to make a potato yeah. look like it's flying But by not throwing I mean, it. On you the other I mean? hand, it does... Like Emily was saying, like it does have a lot of the classic signs of a poltergeist. So I guess I'm kind of leaning towards poltergeist now. And that Walter, what's his, what's his nuts? Is a Hubble. Walter Hubble. He's a pe- Hubble. Hubble. <laughs> and he's a piece of shit, but that's just, <laughs> that's just me. Walter, what's his nuts? And Bob, we ought to baby. It's boy. <laughs> Emily, what about you? What do you think? Oh, I think this one's tough because... I've, I mean, there's enough street magic out there we've seen that, and street magic has been around forever where people know how to do these tricks that really blow your mind. You have no idea how, I don't know how they do them. Right. I'm going for a PhD. I don't know how they do this stuff that gets <laughs> over my head. <laughs> I would be going, oh my God, did you see that? Did you see the flight? Yeah, did you, you see it? But <laughs> So I, I know that people absolutely have the ability to create these kinds of illusions. And blow our minds and that we, 
as humans, mm-hmm. we want to believe in fantastic right. things happening. So we are, as a species, very likely to lean into that at the very least. Yep, exactly. So I think a lot of this sounds very hoax, but there's also a part of me that I know that I've experienced some very strange things in my life. I think I sent you a story about that bird that appeared up, uh, in front of my eyes, appeared through a wall. I remember that story. Didn't I, I remember send you- that story. I don't did think I send that did. to you, Lindsay? I don't think yep. you- Oh, this was wild. It was years ago, but uh, there were several uh, – it was me and my my girlfriend. We saw this thing, this bird come out of a Whoa. wall. And it was a solid wall. That's <laughs> wild. And I have no way of explaining it. And it's still one of those things that just blows my mind to this day because it's – Right. W- unless you see it with your own eyes, there's no way anybody else is ever going to understand it or believe it. So I know that I've seen things and I've experienced things that I can say I don't have an explanation for. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's all perspective, right? Like it's – and it's hard to question somebody else's perspective because you can never perceive it fully unless you perceive it yourself. Mm -hmm. And we weren't there. This is how many – it's over 100 years later. We have Mm -hmm. no way of really knowing. Unless – yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. Like there are definitely aspects of this case that I'm like, uh, seems fake, but okay. But then it's it's also hard because there are other parts of it where it's like, how could someone make this up? Like, how could someone uh-huh. do this? There is no photogenic proof of it. Obviously, there's no video proof of it because it's eight in the you know, late 1800s. But mm-hmm. I think this is a case of, you know, wanting to believe the unknown exists because if it doesn't, then is life just this boring? Do you know what I mean? Like, is life just yeah. this, this mundane thing and these wild, mysterious and weird things just are all made up? I'd like to think not because, you know, I think, like you said, Emily, you know, we've all had some kind of experience one way or another that on the outside looking in, it's like, okay, I don't know how to explain this. It has to be something else. It has to be something unexplainable. Mm-hmm. Right? So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm torn. Um, for those listening in, please feel free to send me a DM, an email, comment on today's episode post. Let me know what you think. And I just want to say thank you, Emily and Lindsay, for coming back on. I am so happy that we were able to collaborate again. And, you know, I look forward to doing more spooky episodes with you guys. Thank you for having us. This was great. Anytime. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distraction episode, consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or really anyone else who will listen to you. You can tell them to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, Podchaser, and more. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, please consider leaving a rating or review. On Spotify, you can also leave us a five-star rating as well. This helps get us a little bit more attention to our weird little show. And this is kind of the best way to support the show for free. Another way to support the show for free and to make sure you never miss an update is to follow us on our social media platforms. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Just simply search for Weird Distractions Podcast or on Twitter, our handle is WeirdDistractI1. If you're wanting more Weird Distractions and want to support the show financially, consider joining one of our two tiers over on Patreon. Both tiers currently get early access, ad-free episodes, and monthly bonus episodes. You can find out more by 
by going to patreon.com slash weird distractions podcast. Shout out to our current patrons, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Sissy, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. We appreciate you and we love you. Just head on over to Redbubble's website and look up Weird Distractions Podcast. You can also make a one-time donation over on Buy Me a Coffee, which you can find that link in our social media bios. Lastly, we love to hear from our listeners. We're always collecting your weird tales of true crime, paranormal encounters, and any other experience that made you think, hmm. That was weird. We've released some listener distraction episodes already, and we'd love to keep the series going. You can email us at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. If you do email us, make sure that you let us know whether you want us to say your name or keep your story anonymous. And you can also email us any corrections that need to be made after today's episode. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 